Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 77 for the week ending Monday, October 3rd, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masu, glad you could join me. Today's show is going to be relatively shorter than usual, but you can be sure that I'll be serving up all the week's biggest stories, which include the MTN Group being accused of sneaking roughly $14 billion out of the Nigerian market, an important tech angel investment masterclass featuring Rebecca Enonchong set to go down in Cameroon, and Tanzanian mobile telcos gearing up to comply with the country's regulations around running mobile money operations as separate businesses. Now that's all ahead, but first, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations. Now the series features relaxed, in-depth chats that I've had with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. Now the next season of the show will drop in a month or so, but in the meantime, there are 25 candid conversations to dig into featuring the likes of Rebecca Enonchong, Dominique Collett-Antelik, and Stephen Van just to name some. All like you've probably never heard them before. To listen, simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup and click on the African Tech Conversations playlist. Or you can just search for African Tech Conversations on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other good podcatcher out there. And of course, if there are some high-profile individuals that you'd like the team and I to track down for the upcoming season of African Tech Conversations, do let us know and we'll do our best to make it happen. Drop us an email via hello at africantechroundup.com. And now it's on to this week's news. First up, despite opposition put up by high-profile U.S. lawmakers like Republican Senator Ted Cruz and others, the USA has handed internet control to the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, a.k.a. ICANN. Now, this follows a U.S. federal judge denying a last-ditch request made by Ted Cruz and company to prevent the scheduled handoff from taking place over the weekend. As one of our U.S. listeners, Nicholas, explained briefly in last week's show, the transfer involves the Internet's domain name system, or DNS, which is basically the web addresses you type into your browser, like africantechroundup.com, into the numerical language that net-connected computers use to communicate. Now... Net neutrality activists are super excited by this development because it ends many years of what some feel to be the unacceptable levels of control held by the U.S. government of commerce over the DNS. Now, in theory, the DNS should be controlled by a neutral, apolitical party like ICANN, whose multiple stakeholders include technical experts as well as representatives of governments and businesses. Now, critics in the U.S. argued that the transfer could open the door for countries with authoritarian regimes assuming control of the Internet and eventually censoring content throughout the world. But please, at this point in the world's digital history, I don't imagine too many people trust the U.S. government to efficiently never mind integrously walk a dog online, never mind keeping global interests at heart while overseeing the Internet's domain name system. So you can count me among those who are relatively relieved to see this go through. Next, here's some news that will no doubt impact the likelihood of South African mobile data prices coming down significantly, at least in the short to medium term which is, of course, what's being demanded by the popular hashtag data must fall movement in South Africa. Now, South Africa's communications minister, Siabong Atwele, has secured an urgent court interdict, which now prevents the communications regulator, the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa, ICASA, 
from going ahead with its planned auction of radio frequency spectrum licenses for 4G broadband. Now, he did this following ICASA publishing an invitation to interested parties to apply to take part in the auction for spectrum in the 700 and 800 megahertz as well as 2.6 gigahertz bands. Now, make what you will of MTN and Vodacom's recent defense made before Parliament attempting to justify their mobile data prices. But one thing is for certain. Consumers remain the biggest losers the longer these 4G LTE licenses remain unused. Now, I happen to be sympathetic to Minister Kwele's proposal for the establishment of a single national wholesale open access network, which all the operators, including the big guns, MTN and Vodacom, uh, as well as any other interested parties, uh, would then participate in as shareholders. This network would then be jointly granted spectrum access, as opposed to certain parties being granted either partial or exclusive access through a bidding process. Now, by Minister Twelle's estimation, ICASA has jumped the gun by seeking to auction licenses before government has a chance to work out a framework for this plan. Now, I'm not going to try and attempt to unpack all the political issues at play here, but while I'm sympathetic to uh, Minister Twelle's social capitalist leanings with regards to this matter we can't let it drag on forever i figure that in addition to holding the mobile telcos to account over unfair pricing practices data must fall campaigners must also spend time trying to put pressure on the minister to push through his integrated national ict policy recommendations as quickly as possible rather than standing by as minister quelle's ministry constantly resorts to legal action to keep ikasa in check now staying with south african news for something perhaps Far less important, uh, Johannesburg became the first African city to see the launch of Uber's on-demand food delivery app, Uber Eats. Now, I don't know how well the city will take to it, given that many popular food outlets already offer a complimentary delivery service, or in some cases, delivery at a nominal charge, depending how far you are from where they are. Then there are homegrown food delivery service incumbents like Mr. Delivery, uh, who have been around for decades and who, just like Uber Eats, charge customers a fee to deliver food. Now, I suppose the main difference between Uber Eats and, say, Mr. Delivery is that uh, Uber Eats charges a flat fee as opposed to a confusing mix of fees and surcharges. But I imagine the other challenge for Uber Eats will be enlisting food outlets people really want food from. Um, And that's, you know, probably outlets that aren't already available through other delivery services. Now, at this point, I personally can't see Uber Eats being as revolutionary an innovation for the food delivery industry as Uber has been for the taxi business. But that said, if I was someone like Mr. Delivery, what I'd be afraid of is Uber using its trademark loss-leading tactics over a sustained period of time, you know, to squeeze the life out of the competition. It is, after all, the way my wife and I were incentivized to try the new app last week. Uh, Uber Eats happens to have enlisted one of our favorite pizza takeout joints uh, to their system. And then, of course, they were offering a 100 rand opening discount. That was a little too much to resist. And so, of course, we used it. Uh, not everything ran smoothly, mind. Uh, the app didn't give us the option to choose the size of pizza we wanted. And so when the pizzas arrived, we had ordered large. One of them was medium. Um, and there was nothing the Uber driver who delivered them could do to solve the problem. Eventually, I had to call the pizza place, and fortunately, they hadn't overcharged us. And, you know, long story short, it got me thinking, uh, what if someone were unhappy with their order for whatever reason? What then? Um, uh, this definitely qualifies for the hashtag first world problems. Uh, but listen, I'll let you know if Uber Eats has ironed out that particular issue the next time I use the app, which will basically be when they offer me another 100 rand off. So uh, don't hold your breath. 
to Nigeria now, where the MTN Group is fielding allegations of sneaking just under 14 billion US dollars out of the Nigerian market. Now, the country's lawmakers have vowed to investigate the matter, and as expected, MTN's share price on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange took a massive knock last week when the news broke. Now, according to some media reports, the Nigerian Senate has received a motion from one of its members to investigate potential collusion between MTN Nigeria and leading commercial banks to facilitate the illegal repatriation of funds over the last 10 years. The MTN Nigeria CEO, Ferdi Mulman, has come out saying that these allegations are completely unfounded, and he should certainly hope that they are because... There's blood in the water following the massive fine MTN Nigeria had to pay the Nigerian Communications Commission a few months ago. Uh, This was over flouting SIM card registration regulations. Now, Nigerian politicians no doubt realize now that they can demand a level of accountability of MTN and other corporate giants that for some reason they could never have done before. Now, these allegations have surfaced in the same week that MTN Nigeria is said to have fired hundreds of call center staff and slashed salaries by two-thirds for many of those that remain. Now, there are reports circulating of dismissed employees claiming that they were fired without notice and sent packing empty-handed. Word on the street, though, is that MTN plans to outsource some of its staffing requirements to countries like India to cut costs. Man, what a week it's been for MTN. You, you best believe we'll be keeping an eye on them for you as their season of reckoning continues. Now, staying with Nigerian news, Jumia Nigeria has sought to surf the wave of patriotic sentiment that peaked over the weekend when Nigeria celebrated 56 years of independence from British rule. Now, they did this by launching something called Jumia Local, a platform designed to sell made in Nigeria products and designed to promote local industries by charging 0% commission on everything sold on the platform. Now, the initiative basically forms part of the company's corporate social investment plan. And as far as those go, I actually think it's a pretty cool idea, uh, provided, of course, that Jumia makes good on their promise to promote goods posted on the new platform through all their marketing channels. Uh, That's to say social media through their mobile apps and, of course, you know, via billboards and radio and such. But listen up. If you're interested in signing up to qualify for listing, all potential vendors on Jumia Local must have their products made or assembled in Nigeria. But here's the rub, folks. You'd need to agree to selling your stuff online exclusively through Jumia for the first six months. Now, I imagine that pretty much means that existing Nigerian businesses that are already selling well online won't be signing up. Because, of course, that would mean forfeiting revenue sourced from other platforms. Also, you know, what guarantee do people have that Jumia Local will attract a healthy amount of traffic to make it worth their while? You know, the more I think about it, the less of a good idea I think it is. Because say I was a new e-commerce vendor looking, you know, for a place to sell my wares. I'd probably want to be listed anywhere and everywhere I could potentially find customers. Or even just concentrate on trying to monetize interest in my product on my own site, you know, so I could actually own the customer and not have to share that data. I wouldn't want to be stuck on a new platform for six months without any guarantee that, you know, the kind of traffic I need will come. And then, of course, allow, you know, someone like Jumia exclusive access to all my sales data. Oh, man. Yeah, that deteriorated quickly. Um, But yeah, nonetheless... Perhaps you're on the platform and it's working for you. Let us know how you feel, Nigeria. Are you on the Jumia local platform? Do you like the idea? Is it serving you well as an e-commerce vendor? Let us know on Twitter, at African Roundup.
To Cameroon next, where the African Business Angels Network, ABAN, has partnered with the Cameroon Angel Network, CAN, to host an angel investor masterclass in that country. Now, the event will be facilitated by European Business Angels Network President Candice Johnson, as well as Rising Tide Africa lead and Lagos angel Ndidi Noli Edozian. Now, if you're an investor looking to meet with like-minded people or perhaps just interested in learning more about becoming an early-stage investor, you best make a plan to be there. Uh, you'll definitely get a chance to rub shoulders with uh, Africa's first lady of tech, Rebecca Enon Chong, who, who is, of course, a co-founder of both the Cameroon Angels Network as well as the African Business Angel Network. The event kicks off on Friday, October 7th, uh, with an informal cocktail event at 7 p.m. at the Starland Hotel in Douala. And then, of course, the actual masterclass happens the next day, which is Saturday, October 8th, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. We head to Tanzania next, where mobile telcos are preparing themselves to abide by the Bank of Tanzania's new regulations for companies that are not banks or financial institutions, but who want to offer payment solutions. That means that services like Airtel Money, Tigo Pesa, M-Pesa, Z-Pesa, or Z-Pesa, depending how you want to pronounce it, as well as V-Money, will need to be registered as separate business entities, as well as granted licenses to operate in Tanzania. Now, that makes Tanzania the first country in East Africa to require mobile telcos to separate their money transfer and mobile telephony services. Now, in neighboring Kenya, Airtel has long sought the separation of Safaricom's telco business with its mobile money service, M-Pesa, claiming that uh, Safaricom enjoys an unfair competitive advantage in the marketplace, but they are yet to successfully have Safaricom declared a player dominant enough in the Kenyan mobile market for regulators to force the company to spin out M-Pesa as a standalone business. Now here again, Tanzania leading the way in the region in as far as mobile innovation is concerned this week in terms of mobile money. And so finally, we close out with a number of interesting international news headlines, starting with BlackBerry's announcement last week that they'll be stopping the in-house production of smartphones. They'll be outsourcing that to a company called PTT Phone Mobile Indonesia. Now, the move has been widely touted by global media as a failure on the company's part to adapt to the modern internet age. And not unlike what we've seen happen at Nokia, uh, as well as Yahoo, and perhaps in an extreme example, Kodak. Now, I personally agree with some commentators who see this more as a pragmatic, if not smart, move on BlackBerry's part. Uh, particularly when you consider this as a response to their current reality. It's their software and services business that's always been their mainstay and certainly keeping them afloat even now. And now with their smartphone manufacturing business pretty much being a liability at this point, um, they should be happy to let it go, if not just because it makes business sense. Besides, smartphone manufacturing is becoming a monstrous endeavor to execute well. I mean, just ask Samsung with their recent Galaxy Note 7 embarrassment or Google, who are only just feeling confident enough to start thinking about manufacturing their own devices instead of outsourcing to companies like LG, Huawei, and uh, HTC. Now, all of this is very interesting to us here on the continent, of course, because like Nokia, BlackBerry has enjoyed immense popularity on the continent. I mean, come on, admit it. We've always had a special place in our hearts for those QWERTY keyboards, right? Uh, what will be interesting to see, though, is which direction BlackBerry and this PTT phone mobile Indonesia company take BlackBerry branded devices going forward and whether consumers here in Africa and indeed in other places around the world and whether consumers in Africa or indeed in other places in the world will show them as much love as we did uh, over a decade ago.
And so finally, we wade past the rumors that Spotify might be planning to buy SoundCloud and the whispers that Disney might be planning to snap up Twitter, right to the news that despite Google's new messaging app Allo crossing 5 million downloads on Google Play in its first week, it didn't hold top spot in the top charts rankings for very long. Now, that download number is only for Android downloads. iOS numbers aren't out yet. Now, I haven't even downloaded the app to check it out. I guess I'm still a little hungover from how underwhelming Google Plus was and... uh, and so I'm not sure Google can maintain this momentum given how well I feel the likes of Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, WeChat, and Slack are currently doing in terms of fulfilling the world's instant messaging needs. I don't know. Have you tried a low? Was it any good? Should any of the incumbents be watching their back? Let us know on Twitter at African Roundup. We'd love to know. And so that's the week's biggest news, folks. Once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations, a series that features relaxed, in-depth chats with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. To listen, simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash african tech roundup go ahead and click on the african tech conversations playlist when you get there or simply search for the african tech conversations podcast on itunes stitcher or any other good podcatcher and again if there are any high profile individuals within africa's tech ecosystem that you'd like the team and i to track down for the new season of african tech conversations drop us an email via hello at african and we'll do our best to make it happen. And so be sure to catch the show again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com. It drops at 9 a.m. Central African time. But before I sign off this week, I'd like us all to spare a thought for South Africa's legendary, once world-beating instant messaging platform, Mixit. Now, the platform reportedly shut down its servers last week. Now, there's a cautionary tale of failing to maintain market leadership, if ever I heard one. A moment of silence for Mixit, please. That'll do. That's it for me, Andile Masugu. Until next time, take care, Africa.